I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they develop to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And today we have one of my fellow women in business women from the Ogden Weaver Chamber of Commerce, Karen Wright, joining us. Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for letting me be on the show. Oh, we're so, so excited. excited. I love your energy. I love your energy in an email or a text, wherever it is. It's fabulous. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about you, your personal life story, and particularly what you have learned and continue learning about resilience. Before we started recording, you talked about how you're a lot of things. You're a real estate yes. agent. You're you're an author. You're a speaker. You're a podcast host yourself. You're in real estate professionally. And then you said, and I'm a lifelong learner. And I thought, <laughs> okay, that's great. That's That's what we all need to be, right? Regardless of those other titles we wear. Could we all please just be a lifelong learner? So, yes. So thanks, I love it. thanks for joining us and tell us, introduce yourself a little bit. We, we don't know you very well. We'd love to know your background, your history a bit. Let's get to know Karen before we jump into what resilience looks like to you. Okay. Well, I am a mom of four kids and they're all grown out of the house. So I'm at home with two furry puppies. And um, they keep me active on the trails every single day. I love nature. I'm, oh, an entrepreneur. I love new things. Like you said, learning. I'm always, I just love people. And so the more I'm around people, the more I grow. And so learning and new experiences is top of my list. I have been in Ogdenary since 2000, moved from California and fell in love with it probably about Took me four years. Fall in love with Ogden. It's kind of a cultural <laughs> shock when I moved here. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing because that is absolutely not love at first sight. <laughs> no. It takes no. a while. Where are you from in California? So outside of Pleasanton. So Pleasanton area, so outside of Oakland. Yeah. So Michelle's a California girl. Part of Northern California. Yeah, I'm from Sacramento. I moved here and I cried for two weeks. Oh. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. But my husband was like, what now, is right? wrong? And I'm like, everybody everything's wrong. the same. There's no color. There's no nothing here. It was hard. It was a big adjustment for me coming out of California. It's out of Sacramento, particularly. Yeah, Sacramento is beautiful. I live in Vacaville, which oh, yeah. is um, yeah, cow town, but here we go. <laughs> yeah, I know that area. So I was part of a small church. It was a missionary Baptist church, and we had youth groups in uh, Santa Rosa, Vacaville, you know, we we travel uh -huh. Anaheim. We travel to be with each other about quarterly, I guess. That's awesome. California's yeah. great. We hopped from north to south, like every it was every four years we hopped to different places. So the last place we were in before Utah was Pleasanton. So okay, yeah, well, very cool. So you, you took your four year adjustment. You finally <laughs> accepted Ogden. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so full-time mom back in the day, raising the kids. We had a company at the time, my husband and I at the time, which we moved from California to Utah. 
it was in the irrigation business and that was his baby and my babies were right underfoot. And I just enjoyed volunteering, helping, giving back to the community on the school boards, church programs, things like that. I always felt it was really important to be involved with, with my kids since I decided to be a full-time mom and sure. have the opportunity to do that. And that's, so that's that the really profession. important. Yeah. My kids are my treasures, you know? Okay. So how Love old them. are the kids now and where are they? Okay. So my youngest is 25. She is married, lives in Arizona, and she gave me a little grandson oh, who is now grandma. That's wonderful. My one and only, he's the apple of my, my eye. Just, ugh. that's why we have kids is to have grandkids. That's and, what I've heard. Yeah. It and it's so true. Reason. And it's the <laughs> only reason Michelle says. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to skip the kids yeah, and go straight to grandkids. That's what my husband used to say all the time. Yeah. I love yeah, that. it's crazy. And then I have a 28-year-old son who lives in Indiana who's married. He's been there um, a year ago, September. So miss him so much. And then my daughter, who is 30, lives in Bountiful. And my oldest child, and that's part of my journey that we will be speaking about, she would have been 37. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, jump in. Tell us what happened. <laughs> okay, here we go. So in 2004... My daughter, Kalina, at the age of 18, it was her senior year in high school. It was her first cross-country race of the season out in Bear River. And she had a seizure in the middle of her race, which led to cardiac arrest where she passed away on the field. Oh, my goodness. Did she have any cardiac condition or history of seizures or anything? So she, her whole story, yes, she was born with seizures when she was a baby, but it was um, controlled throughout her life with medicine, things like that. And um, it was something that we struggled with. And with seizures and learning from day one, I mean, she was always behind. So she was always in the special ed programs. I had her in OT and PT when she was like brand new, everything, because she was so delayed. Every time she had a seizure, it would erase short-term memory. So she learned to tie her shoe I don't know, thousands of times, you know, and every day is like, okay, what are we going to be relearning today? And so she was my baby for the first six years. I gave her everything, everything I could do. Think of, I was totally hands-on mom with her and I was lucky I could do that with her. Wow. Okay. So tell us, what does resilience look like to you? Let's have you kind of define it and then maybe we'll back up and have you tell us some of the experiences you've had that have helped you get to that definition. Resilience. Oh, I love that word, actually. I think resilience has two sides. Resilience is allowing yourself to grieve, allowing yourself to be in those valleys, but learning to be able to step out of them. There's nothing wrong with grief. There's nothing wrong with hurting. I think the issue, not even the issue, but so many of us heal in different ways. And sometimes it takes longer and it looks different. There's no right reason or right way to grieve, no right way to feel. And so allowing yourself just to be in that moment, allowing yourself to really feel it, I think is very important. And then once you have gone through that process, whether it's a month, a year, five years down the road, being able to pull up the bootstraps, put that smile on your face again, and be able to step out that door and say, okay, I've got this. I've done something really hard. I made it. 
and now I'm walking through. That's been our experiences as well. If you don't mind, I'd love to go back and kind of go back to that day where you lost your daughter. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Of course. Yes. So what is that like? She's had these health issues. I imagine you thought it was going to be like any other track meet. Were you there? So this was an interesting, um, God works in mysterious ways. That morning we were sitting around the table and four kids going different directions. So my husband decided he would go to Bear River with my youngest daughter, who at the time was five, and watch Kalina run. I was taking my second daughter to her first violin lesson, and it was an orchestra thing. So it was a pretty big deal. And then my son was going to go play with his cousin. So we kind of were all Everybody splits their different way. Right, right. Totally yeah, normal. That's what, that's what we do. And luckily, you know, my husband at the time could help be there and support that. So um, I remember that morning, Kalina coming up to me. I was doing dishes and um, she comes up to me and she was always known for these bear hugs. So she'd come up and just squeeze you. And I'm like doing dishes. And I'm like, okay, what's up? You know, like she's squeezing me. And she's like, mom, please, can you come? Please come today. I was like, you know what, babes, we've made a decision. It's not going to happen. I said, I'll tell you what, because <laughs> I don't know what senior in high school rode the bus, but she did. And I said, I'll take you to school today. I'll drive you to school. And so that's what we did. So took her to school. I remember her drop, you know, dropping her off at the Ogden High School. And um, the whole way she was chatty, Kathy, and just really excited and stuff. And she gets out of the car. She goes, are you sure? Are you sure you can't come? I said, no, I can't. And I gave her a big hug. I said, but freaking finish strong. You know, she was never number one runner, but she was always in the top seven of her group. So it was absolutely, she was, she was needed on the team. And so she gives me a big hug and I watch her, you know, walk, jump out, slam the door, walk into the, the high school. And that was the last time I saw her. Oh, I'm so sorry. So did you get a phone call from your husband or... or- yeah, so violin lessons were over. I called him, you know, it's five o'clock and call him heading home. Riverdale Road um, was where the lessons were. And so I give him a quick call and it rings and rings and rings. And he picks up the phone like after the fourth ring and he's like, Karen, I can't talk right now. And he clicks, hangs up the phone. And I'm like, like something's wrong. And so... I pull over and my daughter, Marie, cause I'm not, you know, I don't usually swear. She's like, mom, what's wrong? And so I call again and he picks up on the first ring and he's like, Karen, meet me at the hospital. Kalina had a seizure and it's bad. Oh and so goodness. he hangs up the phone and it's click again. And I'm thinking to my mind, where was the race? Where is she at? I knew Bear River. I didn't know where Bear River was. And I'm thinking, you know, oh my heck. So we had just gotten a new Suburban and um, I get on the freeway headed towards Bear River and I call OnStar, the 911 button. And I just said, hey, this is what's happening. I need to get to the Bear River Hospital. Can you get me there? And another tender mercy from God that person got me to the doorstep at the hospital where my husband was pacing when I got there he was outside just pacing back and forth and the look on his face was one I've never seen 
and hope never to see again. And um, it's crazy. We walked through the doors and I see my daughter, my little five-year-old sitting on one of the coach's laps and she's reading her book. And so my daughter, Marie, who's with me, her dad's like, go sit over there and we'll be right back. And so I'm looking at him like, what's going on? He still hasn't talked to me. He still hasn't said anything. And he's like, follow me. And we walked down that long hallway in that hospital. And I remember the smells. I remember just the sterile and the sounds, the lights, just certain things. And he stops in front of the door and he turns to me and he's like, she didn't make it. Oh my goodness. And oh. I was, I, I collapsed and screamed. Okay, so oh we're, we're going to take a break for a quick second and let everybody catch their breath. I can't imagine going from the phone call of hearing she's had a seizure to now the moment of saying she's already gone. We'll be right back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought... There are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Karen, what next? You're in the hospital. I, I've noted that you've caught every detail, the sounds, the light, the smell, the sterile, everything of that hospital corridor. Now what and what does the next little while look like for you and your husband and the other kids? He picks me up off the floor and he's like, I want you to go in and see her before the girls come in. So I did. I walked him. I believe he walked in with me, might have stood behind me. But as I walked in, it was like they had covered her with this baby blue blanket. She still had her uniform on. Her tennis shoes were still on. Her head was cocked to the left and looking up, which is that seizure where when she seizured, that was the direction she would look at. And um, her eyes were open and they had almost like a life support on her. So you could hear the breathing of the machine because they had her hooked up and they did that for a reason. They wanted me to be the one to say, take her off. She was completely gone. And I, I remember going over thinking, why is she covered up? Like what's going on? Did she fall? Did she hurt her legs? What's happening? And I go to her and I remember just wrapping my arms around her and I moved the blanket to see, make sure her limbs, everything was okay, which were, she was fine. But what the blanket was, was keeping her body warm. Mm. So she Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been cold when I touched her or when the girls came in to touch her. Oh my goodness. So, you know, the Darth, Darth Brick, the dark from Star Wars. Yeah. What's his name? That guy, Mm -hmm. that breathing. Darth Darth Vader, Vader. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what it was. That was the machine breathing. And the doctor came in, 
with my husband at the time. And he's like, she, she was gone before she even got here. And they're like, we'd like to take the machine off of her. And I remember when they did, it was like, just silence. The entire room was silence. And I bawled. I held her and just cried and cried. So heartbreaking. It was, so you said it was a seizure, but with cardiac arrest. So was that a risk with these seizures? Were you aware of that being a risk? Um, no, no, it was interesting during, we had some things going on her that summer where her seizures were just overpowering her. And so the medicines were totally keeping it in control. So we, Children's Hospital had just come out with this new system, the Vega nerve system. And so what it was, it was almost, they would put like a, a magnet on in the heart, like above the heart and connect the wires to the vagus nerve, which connected to the brain. And so she wore a magnet on her wrist. And so when she felt a seizure coming on, if she would swipe it, the magnet across this other magnet, it would set like electrical current oh, wow. through the wires into the brain to fumble up, jumble up the brain waves to hopefully diminish or a short, smaller seizure. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a short happened. circuit. Oh my yep. goodness. Okay. The and medical so technology had, behind that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And she had just gotten um, clearance the week before from the doctors up there saying that the amount of stimulation was perfect because it's like any medicine you have to raise, raise it. You can't just be full force on it, letting the body get used to it. They knew she ran, you know, they're like, we asked the doctor, should she stop running? Because as she got older, when she ran, she'd have more seizures. And so it was more common than not. And the doctors are like, why take something away from her that she loves? She's strong. The only thing that's is she's having a seizure. And if we right. can control it between the vagus nerve system process, along with the medicine, she'll be fine. And so trusting what the doctors say and Kalina pleading with us, please let me run because that was something she felt normal in. Mm -hmm. She wasn't in the special ed classes. She wasn't labeled. She was actually on a team and she was actually helping and giving to others. And it took her into that normalcy of what high school was. And that kept her afloat. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And what's life if we don't get to explore and live our passions? Yeah. So, So, Yeah. (laughs) This is heartbreaking, and you know Michelle and I have each lost a spouse, but neither of us has lost a child far too young to lose. Can you tell us a little bit, if it's not too much to ask, what did the family dynamic look like after losing her? You're married, you've got three other children. How how do you continue? Maybe walk us through those next couple of years, and where do things progress in your life? I know the great things you're doing now. And before we jump to you telling us about that, maybe walk us through some of that in the middle between when you lost her and where you are now and the great work you're doing with with your shine work and and this positivity you've got. Yeah. So you know what? It's a blur. I think you guys understand that first year, that first year of birthdays, Christmas, Thanksgivings without your loved ones. It's hard. It's that first year getting through. And um, it was crazy because I I can't even tell you how many times I would set the table 
for six. Yeah. Because there should be six. Yeah, There should be six. And um, my role was, and this is how I dealt with it. We tried to keep the kids as normal on schedule as possible, going to school every day, doing their after school sports, things like that, which I felt we felt as partner, my husband and I, that that was the best thing, like try to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Who knows if that was right or wrong. Each of my kids, you know, they've dealt with the death their own way, but get them to school and um, come home and go to bed. And I slept. And just that's all and I do. Mm-hmm. I set my alarm like from, you know, one o'clock to get up, get showered, go pick them up from school, take them to their after school sports, come home, get dinner, do the homework, get them ready for bed, say our prayers and go to bed. And I did that for probably six months. Then I got on an antidepressant and of course, trying to figure out levels for that. I also had no feeling numb. I didn't want to do anything. Um, So that took a while to adjust with all of that in the same sense, trying to be normal and trying to portray to people that we were fine. And it's interesting. You find out really quick who your friends are. And I was alone. People don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. People want to help, but they don't know how. And I think as women, we're very prideful. I'm very prideful that I got this. I can do this on my own. And um, I was bound and determined to do it on my own. And I think a lot of times that makes us stronger. And But I also realized there's moments when I needed that help. I needed someone in to come in, you know, People brought food, which is great. I love all that, but it was like the little things, doing the wash, helping me vacuum or clean or just hold me. That's all. Michelle and I are kind of speechless because we're just nodding. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could do a a million podcasts on what not to say and and the things that are not to help (laughs) or not to help. Um, Right. Because there's so much... There's such a lack of conversation of what is helpful or what is useful when somebody dies. And unfortunately, the most useful thing is to mourn with those that mourn and stand and in those in need yeah. of comfort, which is not to say actually anything at all, but actually be there in the feeling in connection with them to actually maybe feel some of that emotion to cry with them. But not to say pretty much anything. Yeah, because you can't fix it. There's nothing you can say that fixes it. We just have to face the difficulty. Right. It's like we just need to know that we're loved, we're cared for, and we're supported. And the best way to do that is to just show up and be. Yep. Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard for people. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Right. Because we're not taught it. We're not taught it. And we don't know how to have that connection. And... Of course, it's complicated, right? We all come from different families. We come from different traumas. We come from different ways of getting our own needs met or never having them met. And so you take all of these really unhealthy people that have had their own life journey. And as we become adults and we start having these life experiences, we don't know how to show up. 
We don't know how to connect. And we're taught not to have feelings. Right. Push everything down. Be strong. Just be strong. Yeah, we we forget that strength involves feeling and has to involve those different emotions. Let's take one more break and then come back and look at kind of now what? It's been a while since you lost your daughter. You've been through other ups and downs and trials and experiences. Let's talk about what you're doing and how you're helping other people through their own difficulties. We'll be right back. Karen, we're back. You've been through some some terrible heartache and heartbreak. You've been numb, tried to overcome, try to push through all these different things that, like you said, we as women tend to do because we're the mom and that's what we have to do. Talk to us a little bit now. How long has it been since you lost your daughter? Remind us of the timing. And then tell us of the great work you're doing to help other people who are struggling in whatever they're struggling with. Yeah, so <clears throat> Kalina died in 2004, so it's been that's almost, almost 20 like 19 years, yeah, oh 20 years. Goodness. So it's um actually incredible. She'd be 37 in May, so it's like, oh my gosh, crazy to me. But as time went through and I want to just talk a little bit. In 2014, I got divorced after a 28-year marriage. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, and so that was actually a turning point in my life. It was something I decided something I knew I needed to do in order to um, become the soul I was meant to be. And so after that divorce, that's where my journey actually started really happening. My healing started happening. I was introduced to energy healers. I went to Bali for a month by myself, became yoga certified. I went in and became a Reiki master, a shaman. My life just continued to progress as I continued to learn and grow and in 2019, August 2019, I was prompted by three different energy ladies who had connected with Kalina on the other side. And each of them told me, I need to write. You need to write your story. And I didn't quite understand it until the third one said it. And I realized it wasn't my story. It was Kalina's story. And so I wrote my book. It was published in 2021. Here here it is. Now or never, shine, baby, shine. Oh, that's beautiful. Now or never, shine, baby, shine. And so this basically, the book is a memoir, my life story from the time Kalina was born and the my life, my trials I went through, losing her, uh, along with being in a toxic relationship, um, verbal, emotionally abusive relationship for 28 years, and going through losing my dad in 2018. Three weeks later, lost my brother, December of 2018. Wow, that's a lot. And then my mom died in 2020. So I I feel my soul is here to to be able to get through loss because we all have different forms of loss. And the one thing that I've been taught and through my coaching I do with with my clients and through speaking, it's about living in the now, the power of now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And our past is our past. And we learn and we grow from it. But living in the past is not healthy. It hurts and we get stuck and we're in ruts. And so the power of now is that's what I live by. And I have passion for it. And each of us through life and through losses, we learn and grow. And to me, we have empathy. 
and we can aspire to others. And that's the thing. I want to lift other people. I want to help those parents who have lost their children. Understanding, you know what? It takes time. And our little kids, our angels, I've got an angel on my back row. That's my daughter there. She She's with me 24-7. I talk to her every single day. And I'm sending her off to go help so-and-so and, and be there. And she is my guardian angel. She is there. And I truly believe that if we ask for help for the higher power, the other side, those angels come forward, they come through, and they're there for us. And to have an angel on your side, it's pretty powerful. That's Things beautiful. have happened. Yeah. It's a great perspective. And, uh, it is. It's amazing. So it's all, to me, it's about now, the power of now. Tell me. And what's Tell me a little bit about what now means. I know you, I know it's now is in the present now. Let's seize it now. Mm -hmm. But tell me a little bit more about the acronym and some of the things you teach and share as you try to motivate and uplift those who might be struggling. Okay. Now stands for, N stands for no, N-O. So it's about boundaries. You have to know like K-N-O-W, your no and O before you know your yeses. Mm, I love that. Tell me more. So I think in life, we women, I work a lot with women, um, we're walked upon, we're, we're here to serve and help others, and we don't have boundaries. Well, we've been taught, you do whatever it takes to make everyone happy. At the end of the day, you forget who you are. One day you wake up and you're like, who am I? Kids are grown, they're out of the house. Now what's my purpose in life? And because we don't take the time today to heal and nurture and grow and love who we are. That's the society that we're living in. I believe it's getting better. Women are becoming more in tune with their soul, more in tune with them. But you have to know what your yes is, your no is to know your yeses. And with that, it moves into that oneness. So coming to you, learning to go inward, that's where your happiness is. I've been alone for the last nine years on my own, healing my journey, realizing that my happiness comes from me and no one else. I get to choose. I have that choice. I get to create my life. We each get to create our lives. And for all of us, it's different. But guess what? The choice is ours. And so whatever you decide to do, you're going to do. But do something for you. you Take know, that 20 minutes to nourish you. I, I love that. I was married for 32 years. And my husband dies. And we were very individuals, very much individuals. He really encouraged me to do things on my own and be an individual. But I would say that because we started off as kids, unhealthy, codependent, mm -hmm. those kind of things, we grew into a more conscious relationship. But being single the last four and a half years, I'm like, I get to choose who's in my space. I get to choose where I live. I get to choose every, I get to choreograph. I, I actually call it cultivating my life mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I'm actually cultivating it. It's like I created the house I wanted, the energy, the d decor, every single thing about it. It is my space. It's my sanctuary, my place of healing, my refuge. And I've realized that it's really valuable, the people I allow into my space, and I'm very intentional about it. So I, I love that, that oneness and uh, going inward. I think it's really important, but you can do that also 
it may be more difficult, but you can do that in relationship as well. I think it's one area that we haven't gotten to culturally, that it is okay to be individuals and also be in a relationship. Well, and I think, you know, I think if you, if you can become a strong, healed, full individual, you can then have a strong, healed, full relationship. But broken people can only be part of broken relationships, right? right? If you come in, right. and I think some people, whether it's the young or the old, it doesn't matter. We're all guilty, you know, teenagers all the way to our age and beyond. We sometimes think, if only I had that other person. That other person right. could right. could fix it, could heal it, could make all the problems go away. I remember sometimes being guilty of that line of thinking while my husband was deployed, because life would be hard, and I'd have these kids and so much to do, and I'd just think, like I had this Cinderella fantasy that when Dad got home from a deployment, life would magically be perfect. And guess what? It, it still wasn't, right? <laughs> but I'm with Michelle. I feel like I am more comfortable with who I am and what my strengths and weaknesses are. I do think there's beauty to adding relationships mm-hmm. to your life and that they add to that inner peace, but they cannot be that inner peace and they certainly can't supplement it. Right. And so I right. love I love what you're saying. Okay, what's the W? Now is no you're no. Oneness for the O. What's our W? Uh, w is the wholeness. Oh, and so just kind of like what you said, you have to be complete before you can. I love what you just said, because no one is going to complete you. Right. You don't get married to be completed. You better be whole before you get into a relationship. Someone can add to you. Someone can add joy and laughter into your life. But no one should ever complete you. Right. Yeah. You're that whole to- your divinity. What is that show, Toby Maguire? Is it Toby? But Maguire, I don't think it's oh, Toby. I, um, Jerry Maguire. Jerry! You had Toby. me at hello. <laughs> you had me at hello. You complete me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and exactly. not, to take, healthy. not to take away from the addition of another person and what love. Right. We we both know a relationship can be beautiful and additional. It cannot fill the void. If you are void inside, you're never going to be able to fill that with someone else or money or alcohol or other right. things that we're right. constantly trying as a culture the thinking it can fill that void. Most of us get ver- married very young. Sure. We are not whole, complete I'm surprised any marriage makes it, let's be right. honest. Yeah. Right. We are not whole, complete but grow together. But you can grow individually sure. and you together. need to do both. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It can happen. But that's, it takes a power. It takes one who knows who they are not yeah. to jump on someone else's path. Yeah. Right. And exactly. I, I've taught, I've taught my kids, it's like, you better love yourself 100% before you get into a relationship. And you do not become a chameleon. You are your own soul, your own person. And so that <gasps> wholeness, bride. Me, mm-hmm. right, that yeah. wholeness is like connecting your soul to your higher I am, to your higher power, to God, the universe, whatever your, your spirituality, religion is, whatever your beliefs are, that is where that wholeness comes. You can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You have to seek that higher power. And to me, allowing that higher power in, allowing your higher I am in is what makes you whole and complete. Okay. And to me, that's the power of it. So this is beautiful. It is. Keep going. Sorry. Uh, and I just was going to say our Jenny needs to, to be on the go today. And so we're coming close to the end of our time. Before we go, I really wanted to be able to promote what you do. That was my question. Where do yeah. I learn more, Karen? I mean, you and I could talk, we, we could talk for hours about yeah. this and there's such a need. I've looked at your website. It's beautiful. 
tell us where we learn about you and maybe just in real brief, what do you offer? You obviously have a lot to offer in concept. How, how would I get involved with you? Is, is there a training I come to? Do you do coaching or retreats? Tell us where we can find you and where yeah. we can meet you and work with you. Yeah. So you can go to my website, shinenowornever.com. You can click on that. You can send me a, a quick email. You can give me a call. Shine now or never. Mm-hmm. All one word. Shine now or never. Okay. Yep. I love it. I'm, I'm it on down. Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Karen Wright. Shine now or never. I have one-on-one coaching. I'm really intimate with one-on-one coaching. Um, I like to take the programs to fit my clients and see I have I'm I have a tool built of things to help others. And to me, everyone's unique and authentic. Sure. And that's how I want to coach them. I also have a retreat coming up um, May 4th through the 7th in Sundance, Utah. It's called Retreat and Recharge Now Women Ignite. Okay, that looks um, beautiful. Yeah, it's for a small group, eight eight beautiful women. We're taking enrollments now. I want to get it sold out as quick as possible. Sure. And I've got influencers coming in to help with teaching. And the whole weekend is going, subject will be returning home, H-O-M-E, which is home inward. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Okay. Shinenowornever.com. I love the idea of a retreat and recharge. Michelle, we should be going to retreat and recharge. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for joining us. If I wish we had more time. I feel like there's so much more we could say. So everyone, please go find her website, connect with her on social media. I think it'd be opportunity for a great conversation for each of us to find that inner self, to be, to, to get our own wholeness independent of what the world around us may offer or take away from us. So thank you for that. And, and thanks for joining us on this conversation. You're welcome. Thank you. I've enjoyed it so much. And to everyone listening, we hope you've enjoyed it as well. And we'll follow up and we love to learn more about you, Karen, and you're really quickly, what's the podcast you host? We'll make sure that we share that as well. So people can hear more conversations. Yeah. So you, I'm on YouTube, go to Karen speaks out, but my podcast is now women ignite. Okay, so let's find our Karen Speaks Out or Now Women Ignite. And those of you listening, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Relentlessly Resilient. We hope you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform and give us a like and a rating and a review. We look forward to continually making this show better and more uh, suitable to helping people build and develop that resilience. And if you're listening, we'd also love to hear your story. Surely you have a story in your life or several stories that have helped you develop resilience and get stronger and And maybe you have a tool belt full of ideas you can help share with our listeners. If that's the case, reach out to us. On Facebook, you can find us through a direct message, Relentlessly Resilient. Instagram is Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And email is rrpodcast at ksl.com. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.